the rest of our time together, we wanna more closely examine this idea of celebration from a biblical perspective. So it seems appropriate to us at Southwest to have a celebration Sunday, the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving. So we typically do that every year as this is a time of year that our country has traditionally set aside a, a day of Thanksgiving. As our first president, George Washington wrote, a day of public Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving personally. It's, it's just a great season. It's, it's a holiday that you don't need to shop for and I hate to shop. So that makes it a good, good holiday. Uh, and the only shopping you might do is maybe for that right size turkey for your family to feed family and friends uh, that are gathered to just give thanks for God's gifts. It just seems to me such a pure holiday. This year so often, Jane and I are gonna be traveling to Indiana to celebrate with extended family. And I'm really looking forward to that time of celebration. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And by the way, if you don't, or if you know someone here that doesn't have family or friends to celebrate Thanksgiving, let me know. Because I've actually been approached by some people to say, hey, if you know somebody, uh, we'd like for them to join us. So we, we don't want anybody to be alone uh, this Thanksgiving. This idea of Thanksgiving though, isn't something invented by George Washington or any other human leader, but actually as we read scripture, we read that regular celebrations are actually commanded. I don't know if you knew this, but are commanded by God. That's our first blank that you can put in the, the bulletin there. Shortly after Moses led God's people, the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, God commanded his people that they must have three regular celebrations every year. Three celebrations, feasts or festivals, depending on which translation you might be reading of the Bible. So in other words, feasts, festivals, celebrations, maybe even we could go so far as to say parties are God's idea. You see, God isn't against us having a good time. Instead, he promises a life of joy, a life of celebration. In Deuteronomy 16, we see these three regular feasts or festivals were the Passover for the Jewish people, the day of Pentecost, that festival, and another feast that actually we've not talked about much here at Southwest. It's, it's called the feast or festival of the tabernacles or booths or shelters, depending upon which translation you're reading. Now, these are fascinating celebrations for us to learn from. And yet this one, this Feast of the Tabernacles or booths or shelters is the one that we wanna focus on this year because I think there's a lot we can learn from it. It's described in, in the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 13, this was God's command to the people. You must observe the festival of shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest season after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. This festival will be a happy time of celebrating with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, foreigners, orphans and widows from your towns. For seven days, you must celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses. 
For it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvests and gives you success in all your work. This festival will be a great time, will be a time of great joy for all. Now, as I dug into this festival preparing for this weekend, I found a number of similarities between this festival of the shelters and our Thanksgiving. Both were held in the fall of the year. Now, typically this festival was the second week of October. And both were designed as a means to give thanks. It's a happy time for families to celebrate God's good gifts. And in the afternoon, they can enjoy watching, back in their day, the Bethlehem shepherds playing the Babylonian lions in football. Oh, maybe I added that one, okay? But, but there's a lot of similarities. Yet there are some fascinating peculiarities of this celebration that is still celebrated by Jewish people, and it's called the Sukkot. As we read, the people were instructed to participate in this one-week celebration in which they built temporary shelters made out of wood and branches to relive and be reminded of a time that they were a nomad people who left Egypt without a home and wandered for 40 years, an entire generation as homeless wanderers. So each year, the Hebrew people were reminded through this celebration and this reenactment by living in these temporary shelters for a week. It'd be like pitching a tent in your backyard and staying there for a week. And they were reminded through that experience of how much they had been blessed. I wonder how our personal gratitude quotient would be improved if every year we reenacted for an entire week a very difficult time in our lives, a time that maybe we have seen God later liberate us from. If we were to do such a thing, what would your shelter look like? As I thought about this in my own life, I, I thought possibly, and I'm just saying possibly, this is this is hypothetically, okay? I don't want to commit to this, but what would it look like for a week if I, every fall, substituted at a middle school for a bunch of students who hated math? Because that would remind me of the toughest year of my life when I was a middle school math teacher. By the way, you middle school teachers, you are my heroes, okay? I just want to say that. That was, yeah, yeah, that was a tough year for me and I liked high school teaching, but not middle school, okay? That's just me personally. But possibly for some of you, that wouldn't be how you'd spend your week. Maybe for some of you, you would spend a week searching want ads or networking on LinkedIn, not for yourself, but maybe for someone else, being reminded of a time that you were unemployed searching for a job, a tough time in your life. Or possibly it would mean for a whole week living on, on uh, peanut butter and Roman noodles and macaroni and cheese to be reminded of a time that you were financially strapped and maybe to be thankful for your current financial situation. Or possibly for those of you who went through the heartbreak of, uh, of maybe divorce, seeing a relationship that you 
long to be in for the rest of your life and it suddenly come to an end. Maybe for a whole week, writing notes of encouragement to others who have recently gone through a tough breakup or sending notes of encouragement for a whole week to single parents just to let them know you're there for them and you care about them. Maybe for some of you who've, who've identified a particular addiction in your life, and maybe at one point you were brought low because of some addiction, maybe for an entire week, go to a 12-step meeting every night just to get back in touch with how much you have to be grateful for. What would your week of shelters look like? Sometimes it's good to look back and remember a tougher time to be thankful for the good times that God's brought. Now, it doesn't appear that the people of God regularly practice this holiday, sadly, which is possibly why they failed to maintain their gratitude. As we fast forward almost a thousand years to the time of 445 BC, following a time that the Jewish people had been exiled from Judea, and then God intervenes in a miraculous way and, and he works through some difference makers, even ones that we looked at during our past series, uh, individuals like Ezra and Nehemiah that led an effort for people to return to Jerusalem after they'd been defeated by the Babylonians. And they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the wall around the city. They rebuilt the temple foundation. And in the process of this rebuilding and restoration, they discovered the Bible. Can you imagine that? They'd lost it. And they began reading it. And they re began to realize that there were these great celebrations recorded and commanded by God in, in scripture and that they had not been observing. And so we're going to read a time where we see this celebration restored, our second point here, if you're filling in the blanks. And let's read about Nehemiah 8, uh, that same chapter we read earlier when we talked about the joy of the Lord is your strength. And let's read about this celebration being restored. In Nehemiah 8, verse 14, it says, as they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. He said that a proclamation should be made throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, telling the people to go to the hills to get branches from olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. They were used these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as prescribed in the law. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters on the roofs of their houses in their courtyards in the courtyards of God's temple. In verse 17. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival and they were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. Ezra read from the book of the law of God on each of the seven days of the festival. Then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly as was required by the law. I love this description of this period of rebuilding as they were all filled with great joy, as they were restoring the teachings of God and reinstating the festival of the shelters. Yes, they were reminded of how much they had to be grateful for. 
And I believe there's a direct link between our gratitude level and our joy level. In fact, if you've not been very happy lately, if you've been struggling with sadness, you've just been down, I wanna encourage you, look at your gratitude level. How grateful have you been for how God's blessed you? Because in my life, what I notice is, is I take the time to count my blessings, to be grateful, to thank God for the many ways he's blessed me. I find my joy increases. I think you'll find the same true in your life. But also I'm convinced that as we restore more and more of the teachings of the Bible, as we get back to the spirit of the early Christians, as we get back to the restoring the call of Jesus to follow him, to be his disciples, that we too will discover a great joy in our lives. As we learn how to love, honor, and treat our spouses the way that the Bible describes, I believe we'll begin to experience a greater joy in our marriages. For those of us who are parents, as we learn to, to, to discipline and, and lead and model for our children what it means to be godly, I believe we'll see joy restored to our families as we learn to restore one another teachings of the Bible and be devoted to one another is the way the Bible teaches, I believe we'll begin to experience greater joy in our church experience as well. As we live that out. If you're not experiencing great joy in your life, possibly it's because you've, one, not been grateful, or two, you've not been restoring the teachings of the Bible in your life. We see the people of Ezra and Nehemiah's day, they restored those teachings and there was great joy. Now let's fast forward another 500 years. It appears that the Jewish people at the time that Jesus was on the earth was doing a better job of honoring and remembering these celebrations, the Passover, the Pentecost, and the festival of the shelters. As we read in the gospels, we see in the life and ministry of Jesus that he actually uh, appears to be at those different festivals. And you can see that recorded in the gospels. But what I love about Jesus, there's so much I love about him, but what I so appreciate about him as a teacher is he was able to take whatever was going on in the, in the current and he was able to, to use that as an illustration of what he was all about, who he was, what his mission and purpose was. So if you're taking notes, our last blank is that in Jesus, we see that the celebration was personalized. Jesus personalized this celebration. Now it's interesting to learn that that by the time Jesus was on the scene, that, that the Jewish people had added some traditions to this holiday that weren't necessarily commanded by God. One, one tradition that to me was fascinating is that, that during this seven-day feast, the, the Jewish feast would go to the Pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem, and they would take pictures, maybe like this golden picture I've got here up here. And they would actually have two pitchers. They would have one filled with wine and one filled with water. And they'd walk these pitchers through the city each day, each day of the seven days. 
And then they would come before the altar there in Jerusalem and they would pour out. I messed a little bit. They'd pour this water out. And while they were doing that, it was their tradition every year to have Isaiah 12 read. Isaiah 12, verse three, this says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This tradition was developed to remind the people of a difficult time that they'd wandered in a dry desert, the wilderness, often being thirsty and parched from the destitute condition. And it was a means to celebrate how they'd been liberated from a difficult past. And yet they were also looking to a brighter future as, as Isaiah promised of a time where the Messiah would come. And the Jewish Talmud reads, the one who did not see the joy of water drawing celebrations had not seen joy in his life. You see, this was a joyous occasion. Now with this as the backdrop, possibly right as the priest was pouring the water, in John chapter seven, Jesus stands up and he says this. Well, let's listen to the text and the context. In verse 37, on the last day, the climax of the festival, the festival of the shelters, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, if you have a thirsty soul, come to him. He will bring the living water that will quench your deepest thirst. Isn't that good news? And isn't it powerful that he would have used this very moment when they were pouring out the waters to say, if you want living water, come to me. I love that. And Jesus says this living water is, is the Holy Spirit that, that will be given as a promise to every Jesus follower who's willing to come to him with humble obedience. I love this description of the anticipation of God's spirit be given. In fact, as you fast forward six months from that occasion when Jesus proclaimed that he was giving living water at the Passover feast, Jesus would be crucified. 50 days later at the feast of the Pentecost, the church began. And it began with a message of Peter promising that the Holy Spirit was now available to all people. In fact, this is how Peter put it in Acts 2 verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that living water. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom Lord our God would call. On this Celebration Sunday, we've made a special invitation to anyone who's not yet been obedient to this teaching to repent and be baptized to do so. Why? So that you can receive the joy of forgiveness 
And you can receive the confidence and the joy of this living water that's available from Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who will bring sustenance and joy and strength to your life. This is the good news that Jesus brings. And we long for everybody to experience that. In fact, if you've never responded in that way, we're gonna be taking communion in just a moment. And, and maybe you just wanna even come up here and sit with me up in the front row and talk to me about how that you'd like to respond in that way. We wanna invite you to do so because we're longing for more and more people to respond to Jesus' invitation. Well, our time is short. It is interesting that also during this festival, they would light this great menorah that would just shine brightly in Jerusalem. And at the end of the festival, they would extinguish it. And maybe at that point in John 8, Jesus stood up and said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. You see, his light will never be extinguished. It still shines brighter, bright 2,000 years later. And he calls us to in turn be the light of the world. And yet for this light to shine, Jesus, the son of God came to earth to be a sacrifice, to be an offering for us so that we could be forgiven. And so that we could experience this living water and experience eternity with God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit throughout eternity. Jesus said that would be possible in John 8, in verse 28. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I'm so grateful that He was willing to come here and be lifted up on a cross, aren't you? As we observe communion, what the early Christians involved and called a love feast. We're to reflect on how Jesus has brought life, joy, and peace into our lives, to be grateful. And he did that because he was willing to be lifted up on a cross. As we participate today in this time of communion, let's be grateful for what Jesus did for us. And I wanna suggest, this might not be the biggest meal we'll have this week, but I suggest this is the most significant meal as we take the bread to remind us of his body, as we take the cup to remind us of his blood. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for how throughout history you've, you've woven your plan and you've invited us to celebrate. Thank you that these feasts not only reminded the people of that day to celebrate and give thanks to you, but they pointed to Jesus. Help us during this time of communion to be thankful. Help fill our hearts with gratitude for what Jesus did for us, how he came to be that living water and provide that living water for us. He is the light of the world. And yet this all happened because he was willing to be lifted up on the cross for us. Fill our hearts with gratitude during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.